0: Hey there, Trinity. Welcome to House Church. So glad that you can be here with us. My name is Jonathan. get to serve as a pastor of our church. Excited that you can be a part of the series that we're in through the book of James. Uh, We've entitled this series, Believing and Doing the Seamless Unity of Faith. We're glad that many of you were able to gather in person. We look forward to casting some more vision for what this strange fall is going to look like, hopefully as it becomes a little bit more normal. We're excited to get community groups going, as you've already heard, and some other initiatives this fall. But before looking too far forward, I actually wanted to pause and stop and think about some of the things that we have been able to accomplish with your help over the past six months. We've listed a couple of things out that were initiatives and and some new ideas and some creative thinking that we included during this time of quarantine and COVID, and I actually think it's really helpful to stop, pause, give thanks, and then look forward. Sometimes we're so future-minded that we forget to stop. And so this is a moment for us just to recognize what God has done in and through our church over the past couple of months. Number one, we've been able to establish what we're calling our care team people who, are gonna, uh, who have been paying attention to the needs within our church, making contact, saying hello, offering prayer, offering financial assistance. So we're so grateful for the establishment of a care team. We hosted somewhere around an 18 to 20 part bi-weekly Facebook devotional series that was on Facebook Live. Should have seen the first one. It was like upside down. I was going crazy. Nobody knew what they were doing. All of a sudden, pastors have become news anchors and we're, we're broadcasting on TV and Facebook. So, we did that for around 20 different parts, 20 different uh, sessions. We participated in the day of service in a partnership with Hope for San Diego, a great day to be able to serve the different affiliates. We've hosted two Zoom membership classes, and now we have somewhere around 60 plus interviews to do as people become members of our church this fall. Very exciting. We hosted what we originally called noonday prayer, and that's given way to what we now call an evening of worship and prayer. We began to pray together weekly. This is a value at our church. We wanna to continue to learn how to pray together. We offered four weeks of focused prayer around the themes of grace and race as racism and injustice exploded in our nation just a couple of months ago. We spent four weeks praying through the themes of grace and race, and certainly we're not done, but this is some of the things we've been able to do together. We hosted a day of fasting, and prayer. We hired two new positions, our amazing videographer who's behind the screen right now, and then Sydney, as you met earlier, who is our communications coordinator. And we've been preaching through two virtual series. The first one was called Unlearning Through the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're in the book of James, this believing and doing. It has been a full season of figuring out how to continue to do ministry, love one another, and engage our city. So thank you for being a part of all that we have done so far. Let me jump in. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 today. James 4, 13 through 17. Let me read it. You can listen and follow along. James says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. This is God's word for us today. Each of us has had to really wrestle in this season. No doubt you have felt like you have been pinned down to the ground in different moments over the past few months. The past few months have literally turned us upside down and inside out. And I'd like to suggest that maybe the most humbling and and potentially the hardest part of COVID and quarantine has been the realization that tomorrow is completely out of our control as people living in America's finest city, or maybe more generally as people who live in an affluent West, our lives have generally been set to cruise control. Now that does not mean, of course, that there aren't hard things that we experience in our individual lives, our family life. Certainly things creep into our lives that are very difficult. But generally, we like to cruise. We like to move forward. There are times where we have to accelerate, there are times where we have to quickly break when difficult things creep into our lives, yes. But what we have noticed lately is that there are these unseen forces, literally an unseen virus that has crept into our lives, to begun to shape and change the direction of our lives. And now the most common response around, what are you gonna be doing tomorrow? What are you gonna be doing next week is, well, I'm not really sure. I hope or I want or I intend, but it's really out of my control. James addresses the exact same issues of control in these five verses from James chapter 4. And so the three things I'm going to walk you through are number one, control, number two, surrender, and number three, dependence. Control, surrender, and dependence. Under this first theme, First theme of control, unlike conversations about power or maybe prestige or reputation, talking about taking control is generally a much more common and accepted conversation. Now, we might frown on somebody who wants to come to us and talk about taking power. But if somebody comes to us and says that they would like to talk to us about taking more control of a part of their life, we generally generally affirm that. When someone comes to us and says, I'd like to learn to take control of my finances, or I'd like to learn to take control of my health, or my weight, or my diet, or my future, we generally give them a high five, and we say, amazing, go for it. See, we attempt to control all sorts of things, from public opinion, right, to reputation, to our own image, which of course capitalizes on the tremendous spiritual power of social media, to our children's education. We like to control who we vote for, what we're gonna eat, when we exercise, to whom we allow in our inner circle, and those people that we inevitably keep at arm's length outside of our inner circle. We try to control all sorts of aspects. We are told as children to control our temper, control what we say, control your emotions. Then there's also the darker, the more subtle side. Of versions of control where we maintain power through manipulation or coercion or intimidation or fear or words or shame, or we keep people addicted to us, needing us through things like sexuality. There are all sorts of ways for us to control the life that we're living or control the circumstances around us. Control is everywhere. And control is spiritually supercharged because it's so closely tied to the human heart's desire to be like God, or in our current moment, not just to be like God, but to actually replace God. Where we once allowed God to be king, to set the agenda, to be in control, to define the good and the moral life, to show us what mattered most, the modern person has removed God from the equation, and now we're in charge, right? Now we're in control. And we think that's where we ought to be and where we deserve to be. See, no one can tell me what to do. No one can tell me what to believe, how to live, how to date, what to do with my money, my power, my reputation. I'm in charge. See, I'm in control. I am the sovereign over my life. And in that case, we have become what sociologists refer to as the buffered self. This is a person who is shielded from outside forces, traditions of all shapes and all sizes, all sorts of influences that they don't want to allow into their life. They buffer themselves, and they create this kind of incubated sense of identity, whether that's poverty or war or public opinion or God himself. I am self-sufficient, and I am the master of my own meaning. A writer by the name of Tony Reinke, he says, Today, with a watch, a calendar and a minute-by-minute schedule of activities synced on our phones, we live under the dual illusion of controlled individuality. We govern the output, and few outside influences can stop us. And now it now seems possible to depend on nobody, to need nobody, to be vulnerable to nobody. We've taken complete control of our destinies, so the buffered self can voluntarily choose to opt out, out of marriage, out of childbearing, out of community, out of traditions, even out of the divine in a way unfathomable to most previous centuries. And for the buffered self, the physical forces that work outside of us don't have much bearing on our thinking. We can anesthetize ourselves from the horrors of the world by simply ignoring the famines, crimes, massacres, and natural disasters that ravage it. And listen to what James says in verses 13 and 14. James says, now listen You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now in this context, James is most likely addressing Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen. But this application in this context is going to apply to all of us. These were men and women who were tradesmen, tradeswomen, people who were mapping out their financial futures. And they were mapping out that future based on the market and possibility of all of these lucrative business deals and going from one city to the next and understanding the market, understanding where their product might fit, and they're making all sorts of plans. But James leans in, he goes, man, but these are also Christians, these are people who had experienced the joy of the gospel in full. Their lives have been radicalized. They're what Paul would call a new creation. They're being remade. They're having a new perspective on the meaning and the point of life. These were now followers and disciples of Jesus. And yet James is showing them how quickly and how easy it is to plan and prioritize your entire life around something else. The other than Jesus. As Christians, there is nothing wrong with planning or strategy or lo- logistics or a calendar a calendar, or even capitalizing upon a great financial opportunity. As one Old Testament scholar put it, James is not trying to banish planning from our lives, but only that sort of self-sufficient, self-important, that self-important planning that keeps God for Sunday, but looks on Monday to Saturday as mine hear what he's saying? See, these were confessing Christians who were functioning as practical atheists. And we live in a moment where the world, where the, in this moment, where the world is increasingly filled with people who live their entire lives with no reference point to the God of Christianity. And then the illustration that James uses right here, notice that profitability is actually the only characteristic. It's the only value that's considered when these people make decisions. James writes, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. The question for James and the question for you and me is, Where does God fit in all of this? In all of our planning? Where do God's hopes? Where does God's will? What is the tug and gnaw of the Holy Spirit? The belief that Jesus is the one we're following. Where does God, where does Jesus, where does your relationship with Him fit into the different dynamics of our lives? See, the world may be controlled and guided by certain principles like profitability or money or power or reputation, but as Christians, God has control of our lives our next move, our business, our financial future. These are things that we're supposed to give to Him. See, we're not confessing Christians on Sundays and then functional atheists the rest of the week. Christians are supposed to be people who have woven the presence and the peace and the person of the Holy Spirit into every aspect, all of the different fabric of their life so that He has control of all of it. So part one, control. Let me take you to the second part. Can there be a movement towards surrender, part two? Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil. See, James wants us to have a proper perspective on who we are. The Bible is good at trying to center who we are, especially in relationship to God. James wants us to have a proper perspective on the life that we are living right now. See, as Christians, we know exactly where we're going to be in a million years. See, God has told us that. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be at Chick-fil-A on Sundays because in heaven, of course, Chick-fil-A is always open on Sundays. God has shown us where we're going to be in a million years. We'll be in eternity with him. But God has not shown us where we're going to be tomorrow or in five minutes or in five seconds. That has not been revealed to us. See, our lives are not ours to control. Our lives are so thin, our lives are so fragile. We are susceptible to viruses and disease and infection, and we are clumsy and we are prone to accidents. We fall asleep at the will. We are part of other people's messes. Other people's bad circumstances touch and impact our lives. We do incredibly awesome things as teenagers that we would never do later in life. It's not a story from when I was a teenager, but not that long ago, when we were living in Boston, I had some friends who were over helping me do a project. I went to get everybody coffee. I was a coffee boy. They didn't let me do much more than that. Our house was not that far from a Starbucks, and so it was early in the morning. I noticed as I was about to cross the street with three or four coffees in my hand that there was one car coming from my right. There was no other traffic, and so I just started to cross the street And usually in Boston, Bostonians don't look left. They don't look right. They have the right-of-way, and they just go. But at this moment, as I got closer and closer to the yellow line, I felt like that car was getting faster and faster, and they were not going to stop. And generally, you just keep going. You go, man, they'll stop. They'll stop. But as I got to that yellow line, I put both feet on it. I just felt like they were accelerating and I stopped at the last second, almost put my foot out to take that next step. And as I stopped, the car flew by 45 miles an hour, didn't even see that I was there. And I recognized that they could not see me because as I looked at what they were seeing coming at them was this immense solar glare right over the red and green light. They didn't even know I was in the road. Had I taken one more step, Literally, I would not be here. Most likely, I'd be gone. This takes one step. Reflecting on the tragic and sudden death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, an artist by the name of Lecrae, writes this. Seasons change the colors so quickly. It's hard to keep up with the leaves, cause everybody leaves. On my birthday, Kobe, Gigi, and seven souls remind me that the tree of life is so uncertain. And tomorrow has unpredictabilities as colorful as the smiles that took off that day. May that Sunday morning resonate past trophies and trinkets and the ongoing pursuit of more to sober us, but the humbling truth. My life and your life is just a vapor. And if what you see is all you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. He ends by saying, quickly, we leave. You see, and James writes, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. See, as humans, we have plans for next year, but we don't even have the ability to understand and comprehend what is gonna take place tomorrow. We are frail, we are dependent, we are a mist, We are a vapor, as one writer put it, in 100 years, all new people. Think about that. In 100 years, all new people. See, in the Bible does not buffer the self. It doesn't try to incubate you from the difficult realities of life. It's going to tell the truth, but nor does it berate you or embarrass you. See, it's honest. The Bible says you are a mist, you are a vapor, you are here today, and you are gone the next. But on top of all of that, it says that you are so deeply loved. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 say, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, the Bible is so realistic and so optimistic about who we really are. We're dust, We're a mist, we're a vapor, but we are cherished and created intentionally in the image of our God. And let me connect this to surrender. See, surrender only happens in one of two ways. Either you can be tackled, you can be taken to the mat, you can be coerced to the ground by somebody who forces you because they're bigger and stronger and more intimidating. They force you to surrender. Right? A stronger army comes into a situation, overpowers the younger, smaller, less experienced army, and forces them into surrender by fear or defeat. That's part one. Or the other option is that we surrender out of love and trust. See, and to know that I am a vapor... To know that I'm just missed, that I'm here for the moment and gone the next. That I am, as San Diegans are well aware, I'm just the marine layer around in the morning and gone in the afternoon. See, but I am so loved that God himself would come to help me, heal me, fix me, redeem me, and save me. Leads me to give Jesus control and to surrender all of my life to him. See, and we surrender control to him because we trust him, not because he's manipulated our will and taken us to the mat. See, it's not about manipulation of power. In fact, it's just the opposite. We trust Jesus because it was actually his will to be pinned to a cross for us. See, that's where trust comes in. See, in the cross, in the gospel narrative, the cross gives way to the resurrection, and the resurrection says to us, it's this pow- powerful reality that says that the future is safe and secure in Christ. Nothing in heaven and on earth can rob us of proximity to Jesus because of what he's accomplished. Our futures have been written. This means that resurrection is coming. God is not up to replacement. He's up to renewal. He's up to resurrection. He's not replacing all things. He's renewing all things. And what this means is that Jesus is the reigning king. He's fully in control of everything. Every election is his. Every virus is his. Every day is his. Every moment is his. So now we can let go of control because of the power of the cross, because of the power of the resurrection, and let Jesus back on his throne John Tyson writes, Surrender is that beautiful posture of the heart in which we humbly climb off the throne of our own lives and invite the one who rightfully belongs there to take our place. See, we climb off of our throne because we understand that we are a mist, but God himself is a mountain of love. We let go of control and fear and we rest and trust in the security and safety of Jesus. Surrender means that we can truly say from the heart, Not what I will, but what the Lord wills, right? Part two, surrender. Let me take you to the last part, dependence. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, we read this. James says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. A little bit of a terse section of, of verses. Here's what James is saying, I think. He says, if you live as if God weren't real and you boast in your own plans and schemes and control, he says that is an anti-God disposition and that is the epitome of evil. That's what the world is about. Right? Living as if God were not real, living with no reference point The divine. And he goes on to say that if you know the gospel, if you've had an encounter with grace, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but if you neglect to include Him in your planning, then for you, he says that is sin. He says it's a sin of omission. See, it is leaving out what ought to be included. But instead, all of life is supposed to be lived from this grace saturated. Dependence on God. Dependence on God means that we forfeit control. I give it away. I forfeit control in favor of the grace that has found me. And grace, friends, listen. Grace means that all of life is gift. All of life is gift. Health. Wealth. Job. Family. Leisure pleasure, my next breath. It's only mine because of grace and not entitlement. See, it is part of my life out of mercy and not right. I am who I am because of Jesus and Jesus alone. I have what I have because of Jesus And Jesus alone. Grace means that I don't deserve a better life than the one that I've been given. It does not mean that you can't try to understand what it looks like to take a next and healthy step forward in your life, but it does mean that there is this disposition that I understand grace. All of life is gift, all of life is grace. I am a mist, I am a vapor, but God came for this mist. God came for this vapor. Dependence means I recognize my desperation. And see, dependence is exposing. It's extremely vulnerable, and it's countercultural. To depend on anything? No way. Be independent. Live your own life. See, but through the presence of the Holy Spirit, I can see who I really am, but I also see that I am loved beyond measure, and that drives me to depend on God and give Him control of of my whole life out of trust and not fear. Can I say this as I wrap up? No more functional atheism as christians we have to let the gospel go deep and into every part of our life let's live each moment in recognition of the one who saved us the one who controls all of human history and extends to us grace upon grace let me pray for us heavenly father we thank you for these moments together we thank you that James has been such a helpful, challenging book. There are some books that comfort us, but there are some books that challenge us and upset us, and James is like that. As we think about our lives and we think about the spiritual quality of the things that we attempt to control, Lord Jesus, I hold up my hands in repentance and say, forgive me. Forgive me for trying to usurp you, replace you, and take you off the throne. I have tried to be in control of so many things especially in these last six months where so much feels out of control. Lord Jesus, my friends and I have been given opportunity. We've been given resources and tools. And the world says, just blaze forward, take whatever you can, live your best life now. But as Christians, we stop. We don't think about going to this city or that city and making a profit. We say, Lord Jesus, how would you have me use this moment? I'm a mist, I'm a vapor, Let me maximize my impact for the kingdom of God. And that can be through business. It can be through art. It can be through teaching. Lord, bless them. It can be in parenting. It can be all sorts of things. Lord Jesus, would you teach us how to submit our control to you because you are a great king and you can be trusted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.